welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Our circumstances, whatever they are, are ordained by God. Whether we're single, married, widowed, or divorced, the key to it all is our relationship with Jesus. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Authentic Life, with the second part of this message entitled, Authentic Singleness and Marriage, which covers 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 40. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Now we ask that you would open our hearts. You would give us minds to comprehend what you're saying in your word. You would allow me to be able to communicate clearly a very complex, a very challenging text. So we commit this time to you and pray that as a result of it, that our hearts might be more awakened to who you are in your love, that we might see our marriage with you and find great delight, even greater delight, because we were here this day. And for those that are not in relationship with you, might find for the first time the opportunity to wed with you. So bless it, we pray. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that uh, many join us new every week, and we do welcome you. And for you, we're in a series, and the series is entitled The Authentic Life. It's a series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're just taking major segments that we think should be addressed by this church at this time. And we're in chapter 7 right now. We're talking about authentic singleness and marriage. This happens to be part 2. I began this last week. 1 Corinthians 7, we looked at the first seven verses. Even though I know in your bulletin it says verses 1 through 7 again, that should be 8 through 40 which is a long text, and I'm going to have to do my very best to shape that into the things that uh, we can comprehend in the brief time that we have. Now, first of all, from last week, I'm going to restate two disclaimers about the teaching of this text. Number one is to tell you, this text, nor will I, address unique situations. I use the illustration of abuse very rampant. I will assure you, in this church, there is abuse between partners. I know this, that if you're the one being abused, this is a very sensitive subject, to hear and read about marriage as marriage is intended to be and how you deal with the general life of marriage. There's going to be this sense you don't understand And of course, there is a lot of pain behind that. I know that there are many here that are singles. I mean, this church has been built on singles in the earliest years, and we've always flourished with wonderful and godly single people in this church. And I know, I've talked to too many of you, I know there's deep pain in singleness for many, not all, but for many. In light of that, you address the subject and you touch on something that's painful and it just, it just causes a response. And I understand that. But you've got to know that this is a text that is just addressing the broader context, the bigger picture of marriage and singleness with a primary theme saying, boy, if you want to be authentic, it's being content 
with where God has called you. Not to say that you don't long to be married if you're single or maybe unmarried if you're married. But the reality is that we have a call at this place. If there's, if there's no biblical warrant for being outside of the marriage or there's no person that God's calling you to marry, then how do you live contently? How do you do that? So in light of that, there will be unique situations we will not be addressing. Number two, in light of that, there will be misunderstanding. Last week verified that reality. I know there is misunderstanding. Partly because of my unwise choice of words here or there. By not addressing things, as I said last week, it's going to be because not what I say, but what I don't say that's going to cause the greater misunderstanding. And partly because we're in only last week the first few verses, and he says a lot to bring understanding in the last verses we look at this week. So, that is a challenge, I understand. I do want to review very quickly just the statements that were made as we looked at four very important truths that we need to embrace about singleness and marriage to have authentic living in that realm of life. So let's look at number one. I'm just going to read the headings. Singleness is a good thing. Number two, marriage is a good thing. First two verses, very simple. Number three, Marriage partners should never deprive their spouse of their sexual relationship except under two conditions. And those two conditions, if you were here, you might remember, mutual consent, both parties saying okay, and for the purpose of prayer. Number four, both single and married should live contently in the state in which he or she is called, realizing that marriage is the norm and singleness is the easiest. That's the word I regret. <laughs> Singleness. I put it back up so you can see what I regret. And I, and I don't say that in a humorous way because I think there is a very strong message to be heard that says if you're saying singleness is easy, you got it wrong. Now, last week I did say that perhaps that's not the best word. I'm not sure it may not reflect, though, what Paul is saying. Not saying that singleness is easiest, not at all. Because remember, I did say this is in the context of living kingdom life, serving the Lord. Not to say that singleness is very painful if you long to be married, that it's not a, a place where it's challenging to, to not feel lonely as a single. Any more so than just because you're married, it's a good thing, and you say, yeah, it's a good thing, and you don't know my marriage. If you knew what was going on in my marriage, I'd say that marriage is not a good thing. No, marriage is a good thing. Your marriage may not be. That is true. But we know that singleness is never to be described as easy, but in terms of kingdom life, I think you're going to see that Paul is going to give great warrant to the idea that there's a simplicity to it that aids in the service of the king, that there is an opportunity for less distractions. You'll see that after verse 26. But please don't hear, it's easy, it's not. It can be very, very, very hard. 
I think it's important for us to understand this. We tend to think if something is desirable and it is bad, then it's not the best thing for us. Correct? We agree. On the other hand, we say if something is desirable and it's a good thing that's desirable, then that's better. That really is not true. It seems to be true, but it, it can be challenged easily. I'll use the illustration of money. If I were to ask you, which is the best to have more than enough money or to have just enough money? Which is the ideal? Or if I put it this way, there is a lottery ticket that you can buy for a few dollars and you will have a 100% chance of winning millions and millions and millions of dollars. What percentage of this congregation of Christian people for the most part, what percentage of the congregation would say, no thank you? <laughs> it complicates life. There's temptation to be a good steward. Uh, there's very much a, a, a rise in challenge not to be selfish with what you have. I could be, and the next thing you know, well, let me tell you, that's exactly the teaching of Scripture. Do you know that in, Psalm, in Proverbs 30, the author, who is a wisdom author, he says, Lord, I'm going to ask you, if only two things I can ask, one of them is this, do not give me riches. Give me just enough. Now, if I stop there, you say, well, are you saying it's wrong to have more than enough? Obviously not. I think every one of us here have more than enough. A relative to the world, for sure. Some of us might feel, oh, but I need more. If you knew my financial situation, if I just, well, relative to this crowd, yes, you, you need more. But the reality of Scripture is that, hey, you know what? You, you just, you don't need that. It, it's just going to complicate life. But it's a good thing if God, God blesses with riches. It wouldn't be, it'd be wrong if God would do that. If, uh, no, he, he blesses us with riches. But does it mean it's better? That's the question. I want you to remember that as you think about this whole idea of marriage and singleness. Compare it to more than enough. It's perfectly fine. Marriage. Just enough? Hmm. In certain respects, I'm single? Maybe, that's, maybe there's something better there in certain respects for certain people. Now, just keep that in mind as we'll come back to that. Verses 8 through 40, we'll look at this. Seven people group that are being addressed. I'm going to just hit them very quickly. I can't read every text. I'll read enough and probably much more than you want to read or I want to read to you. But I can't seem to make it clear without doing it. So let's quickly go through the seven people groups that he addresses in these verses. Oh, one other quick, quick, quick thing i got to say. I'm sorry to be late getting the scriptures here. In verse 26, there's going to be the words, in view of the present distress. We do not know what that present distress is. It may be persecution. You're going to see in the text that the author, Paul, under inspiration of scripture from God, is going to be talking about things, and he says, uh, to the church, I say, to all churches, I would say this, meaning, oh, I wouldn't say the same to every church. Sometimes he says, uh, the Lord says, not me. And other times he says, this is not the Lord's. This is, this is my speaking, but I think God has given me wisdom. In essence, that's what he's saying. It's like when I preach. 
When I preach, I'll say, this says the Word of God. Now, let me give you my counsel related to that. And I think it's good counsel. That's kind of how he's saying that. But he is going to say certain things to certain churches. How much of this text, is it post verse 26 or is it the whole chapter that he's applying this in light of the present distress of Corinth? It may be persecution. In light of that, he's giving counsel. He'll tell us when though this is what the Lord has to say. Keep that in mind. Now, first group, unmarried and widows. Verses 8 and 9 reads this way. But I say to the unmarried and, and two widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I, meaning staying single. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn or to burn with passion. So all he's saying there is simply the reality, hey, if you're single, stay single if possible. Maybe in light of the present distress. Maybe because of the whole idea he's going to come back with in a few minutes to talk about the freedom and mobility and mission and how God can use you in no distractions to the things of the Lord or fewer distractions. Number two is marriage. Second group, verses 10 and 11, says it this way. But to the married, I give instruction. Now here he says, not I, but the Lord. Meaning this is for all churches. This is what God has said. That the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried. Or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, there are biblical grounds in scripture for for divorce. Now, we understand it. I'm not going to be teaching those biblical grounds. He is certainly here saying that without those biblical grounds, don't divorce your spouse. But isn't it interesting, he says, and if you do divorce your your spouse, don't get remarried. You might check out what Jesus had to say in Matthew 19. And he basically said, because if you then have left your spouse and you remarry, then you're committing an adulterous sin there. And he says, so you're compounding the problem when you do that. He says here, if you do divorce, well, at least there's the possibility you could get back together. He's not saying, therefore, it's okay without biblical grounds. But in essence, what he's saying is, if you're married, stay married. It's a good thing. Now, number three, those married to unbelievers where the unbelieving spouse is willing to stay married. In verses 12 and 13, it's basically saying, you know, don't divorce. In 14, it says this, verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they're holy. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you read that text before and said, I don't understand what he's saying? Let me make it fairly simple. He's saying, you're married to an unbeliever. Don't say, okay, you don't believe in Jesus. We're unequally yoked. We're, we don't have the same values. We don't have the same convictions. And therefore, it's easier for me just to leave. I'm leaving the marriage. He says uh, to the husband and the wife, don't do that if that's your situation. Stay married. And then gives this perspective. He said, do you not realize that by staying in the marriage... Two things could happen. He uses the word sanctified and holy. Sanctified is the idea of being set apart. 
We think of that as Christians who know the Bible. We, we hear this sanctification. Well, that's what happens to Christians. They're set aside apart more and more to be like Jesus after they've been justified being declared righteous. Holy, we think, well, holy people. Those are people that are God's people. They're holy. Do you know that the two terms can be used to describe non-Christians as well? And that's how this is used. I use it, maybe the best way I can explain is this. You know how Jesus in his ministry said, you're to be fishers of men? Everybody's to, Christians to be out, you know, trying to help other people hear the good news and understand it. Well, when I train anyone how to be the best fisherman you can be, I say it's, it's kind of using a, a two-hook lure. One, one hook is constant exposure to God's word. The other is constant exposure to God's people. And that's the way I do it. I lead people to Christ by simply, ex- I have a way that I can expose them to God's word over m- multiple weeks, and then a way to, at the same time, be exposing them to me and other Christians as best I can until I watch how many people come to faith through that exposure to God's word and God's people. And so all that Paul is saying here is, look, you're in the pond with the great fish of your spouse. And, and you're going to lose a great fishing opportunity here. How in the world can this person ever be exposed to God's people any more than by living with them as they're living with you? And and by the way, don't let your children get away. They could actually be hooked as well by staying in that marriage as a Christian and giving that exposure and so forth. That's really what he's saying there. There's a great advantage to staying in that for kingdom purposes. So he says if, if, if they're willing, you know, then just stay in there. Then we come to number four, those married to unbelievers who are not willing to stay married. You're married to a spouse and said, look, you become a Christian. Well, Jesus did say, I came bringing a sword that would divide relationships, the closest of relationships. That does happen. We know that. We see it happening a lot in other countries. I mean, in some, some faiths, you come to faith in Jesus and you will be expelled from the family immediately. Marriage in-laws, everybody. So he says, if you're married to an unbeliever who's not willing to stay married, don't fight it. Here's how he says it in verses 15 and 16. He says, yet the unbelieving one, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases. I'm going to suggest to you, as most would believe, that means you're free to remarry at that point. This would be abandonment, which would be one of the grounds for divorce. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Meaning, keep peace. Who knows how God can use that? I've watched people that their spouse is trying to leave them, and they fight them, and they're trying to hold on to them, make it as hard as possible to leave. And I go, don't do that. They're the unbelieving spouse who wants... No, let them leave. Who knows how that could be an advantage to see your heart and your love and the kindness and the way you deal with it as best you can. And I know some of you say, you don't understand my divorce and how it happened. I know they're unique situations. But in generally saying, look, let there be peace as best there can be. Then we see the number five group comes after a parenthesis. There is a pause from verses 17 through 24 During those verses, it's basically saying, live as you are called. If single, live as a single. So he's just addressing both in general, just both groups in general. 
Verse 17 reads like this. It helps give you kind of a, a posture of the whole text. It says, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, meaning forget the, the present distress, the issues here. I would say this to any church in any city. It's the right thing to do. Stay married if you at all possibly can. Now, we come to the next group that uh, uh, is found in um, uh, verses 25 through 35. Singles and marrieds in light of the present circumstances. And this is where our text comes in. Look at verses 25 and 26. He says, now concerning virgins, by the way, Every time, but with one exception in the, in the scriptures, when the word virgins is used, it is used to the female. So it is probably with an emphasis here to the female population. I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress, it is good for a man to remain as he is. So that is the advice. One person has put it this way, when high seas are raging, it is no time to change ships. And maybe that's his perspective. In light of what's going on, if you're single, don't change that now. If you're married, you know, even certain reasons, don't, certainly don't change it. See if you can hang in there now because of what's going on. And verses 27 and 28, we read this. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. That's where Paul is giving this perspective. Marriage brings challenges in the context particularly of our service to the kingdom. That's... It, I, I said last week, my, my wife, Carol, when we married, became a great helpmeet. But I was so concerned early on because I did see the difference of my freedom of schedule and time and so forth. I see that she brought a lot to the package of our, of our ministry together. But, oh, freedom and mobility. You have kids. You have the marriage to look after, to be home. You know, you want to be with your spouse. Well, I want to be out. It's a challenge. I think that's the context we have to see that in. Now, I won't read verses 29 through 31. It's saying, here's your focus. If you're single, your focus can be singular. If you're married, in light of the present distress, he says, if you're married, there's a sense in which you're going to have to live as if you weren't married. He says, if you have possessions, nothing wrong with possessions, as there's nothing wrong with marriage. But because of this present distress, you're going to have to be living as if you didn't have those possessions. They're going to be as if they're no value to you in light of what's going on. So I think in light of the present circumstances. Now remember the money analogy as I read the next three verses, verses 32 through 35. It says, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. 
and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband very appropriately. Again, nothing wrong with marriage. It doesn't make it a second-rate plan. It's, it's just there are advantages of both, obviously. Now, I think, in light of what he's saying, this is the response of the single community. It would be, yay, God. Yay, God, I am single. But Lord, please, my heart's desire, bring me a spouse. There's nothing wrong with marriage, but there is a call of God at the present time at least. And where we can be content to say, yea, God, about our life. You know, we talked about things that are good and desirable are not always the best. Wonder how Paul felt about being called into Jerusalem to be stoned. Was that the best place for him to be? It was. Was that the easiest place to be? No, it wasn't. In our minds, we tend to think, good, it's all right, and it's desirable, then that is the better thing. When we can come as Christians to say, this is not desirable, but it's the best. When those circumstances can be acknowledged and believed, and go before God like that, that's when you find yourself in a place that is very good with God. Very challenging to get there. But I think that's what he's saying. Number six. Number six has to do with fathers of single daughters. Verses 36 through 38, I'm not going to read that. It's basically, keep in mind, a culture. When you read it, there's a culture, not just of the Christian community, but of the whole culture that... The father was an authority over daughters. So it's basically saying, Father, you got to make a decision. Do you allow your daughter to be married? Do you not? You can, but here. You don't have to, but he says it's your call on that. So number seven. Number seven, widows, verses 39 through 40. And this is what he says. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, meaning only as Christian, to marry. But in my opinion, here he's given his counsel, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. Does Paul understand singleness? He's single now. Has he been married? He's been married. More than likely, we said last week. And so you just see this is his saying, this is, this is my counsel to you as a people. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. <laughs> I'm glad that's through, all right? It'd be a little happier the last 10 minutes, okay? A little easier. Because I want to conclude with the last three myths. If you weren't with us last week, I started with three myths, common, common myths that destroy authentic singleness in marriage. Here are the three that we looked at last week. Marriage is a better gift than singleness? Not so. Two, a good marriage should and will fulfill my greatest needs? Forget that one. <laughs> That's not true. 
Number three, the goal of marriage is my own personal happiness. And I would say, if you missed last week, if I, I don't usually push people, oh, you go back, you need to hear something that's said, but oh man, this is the most important principle. This is the principle that, as I say, I want my grandkids to get. You know, the reason I use grandkids is that's the people you love most in life, right? <laughs> and I go, if I can just give them the, this is what I want them to know. Folks, if we can just know that if we pursue that which we know will bring us happiness, at least we're convinced. You go after something good or bad, thinking this is what brings me happiness, and I need that, and I'm going to pursue that. Let me tell you, you will never find happiness there. You find happiness from the pursuit of the glory of God. Happiness is a byproduct. It's not the target. And we make the target happiness and, well, what will make me happy? Well, marriage will make me happy. Therefore, if I could get married, I'll be happy. That's not going to give you my happiness. Or you're married. If I can get, get out of this marriage, I won't, I'd be happy then. Well, I, yes, I'm sure for a season well, things will be easier and you'll get rid of a lot of problems. But let me tell you, it's not the way to find happiness. Happiness comes from finding the glory of God. That's why Paul could walk into Jerusalem saying, I'm about, to get, I'm about to get stoned. And he can say, you know what? That's the best place I can be. Because that's the call of God. His peers said, don't go. He said, I know what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't go because it's going to be harder. But this is going to bring great glory to God. Folks, I understand that is a... That is an incredible challenge in the faith that how do I ever get there? But if you don't put that as a goal, you'll never get close. And you'll always be diverting. Happiness, happiness, I gotta get it, I gotta, it's not the answer. Now we look at three more of those common myths. Number four, marriage will be enjoyable because our love is so strong. I haven't married anybody yet that didn't have a strong love in their opinion. And I've talked about this in the past. We're going to get in more to this whole idea of love when we get to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll be teaching that text on love. And I'll repeat a little bit perhaps. But you've got to understand this. That is a myth only if you're using the common view of what love is. Love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. It may include a feeling and often it does. But let me tell you, it must not mean feeling, feelings toward people if we're told to love our enemies. He's not saying, oh, feel just so delighted to be with your enemy that just hurt you so badly. No, he's saying love. Well, what is love? Many of you know I went on a search for four years trying to figure out love. Didn't tell Carol for four years I loved her because I said, I'm not going to say I love you till I know what it is. And let me tell you, I talked to a lot of people older people who've been married for years till I discovered oh the greatest thing I've learned was love is a commitment it's not a feeling it's a commitment based on the will of God undergirded often not always but often by an emotion which is good love is a commitment based on the will of God undergirded by emotion I tell the whole story of my father leaving and their divorce and and what he said to me afterwards and what scared me so badly and then it, it sent me out on this look I got to figure out what love is I'm confused now I've got a little book it's very simple easy read it's in the bookstore called finding your million dollar mate 
And it basically tells the story of how you figure out what love is and how do you know if you really are in love with someone. It's a commitment. That's how you know. Now, the, uh, the next, number five, the way to make my marriage better is to make my spouse better. A <laughs> lot of people are believing that one, aren't they? Oh, boy. Opposites attract, but they also aggravate, don't they? <laughs> There's an ancient legend of a Cyprian king, uh, Pygmalion. Uh, maybe you may know the story, but he wanted the perfect spouse. And so he, he took ivory and he, and he sculpted the perfect spouse. And then he prayed to his God and said, oh, God, bring, that, bring this sculpture alive. And the sculpture came alive and he lived happily ever after with the perfect marriage. Well, here goes our story. We meet somebody, and as far as we're concerned, they got it all. This is what I want. You wouldn't be marrying them if you weren't, didn't believe that. This is the best. This is incredible. But they're flawed, as all people are flawed. So what do we do? We chisel, and we chisel, trying to change them. And then we pray to our God. Now, God, let me have the, the marriage that I needed and wanted all my life. But we don't live happily ever after. In that, that's not the right plan at all. It's not to make my spouse better. The best thing we can do is to focus on who we are and say, God, would you make me the better one? That might even influence the change of them. But the real issue is here, not there. Number six, if I could be married or could get out of marriage, I would be better off. Well, perhaps if there are biblical grounds, you're in the marriage. Maybe it would be. Um, the issue is, has God called you to marriage and you're single? Has God given a biblical grounds? Maybe not in a marriage. And it's, it, it's not happy. It's not enjoyable. Are we better off to get out of that which is not enjoyable? I think I've already addressed it. We're better off when we're right where God has called us to be. Why would we say that? Well, what's your goal in life? If your goal is to bring glory to God, then voila, there it is. If your goal is just to experience pleasure, well, that's a different deal. And so I'm telling you the real root issue here is until we can say, God, my purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him. So I say, parents, train your little kids. Train them to know the first answer to the first question of the great Westminster Catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There's your answer. Let me conclude. I'm going to restate, not teach on it, not say, I'm going to restate the last three myths, but I'm going to apply them as truths. They're going to restate them as truths as it relates to the great marriage we have with Jesus. And so number one reads this way, marriage to Christ will be enjoyable not because I love him so much, but because he loves me so much. Your focus and my focus always on his love for us, not my love for him. That determines where we are. No, 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 no. Number two, the way to make my relationship with Christ better is for him to change me, not for me to change him. Folks, we can't as Christians say, okay, I'm going to chisel God's image into something that is what I want. 
He's always loving. There's no, there's no justice. There's no this. I just get what I want. He's a feel-good God. And then we pray to him. We chisel him out. Then we pray to him and say, now make my life great. It doesn't work that way. It's for him to change me. Number three, and this would be for our seekers that are among us, seeking to understand the faith in Jesus. If I marry Christ, I will forever be better off. And so I'm going to ask you that are, you that are single and married, is he enough? Would you say Jesus is enough? Because let me tell you, anything good or bad can be an idol. Your children can be an idol. Anything you say, even though it's good to say, I got to have you to be happy. I got to have you to be fulfilled. Uh-uh. We've got to be able to say, Jesus, you're enough. Singles in marriage, marrieds. Can you say right now that, God, you're trustworthy? I'm going to trust you. Would you be willing to confess right now some of these myths that we've been hanging on to and just apologize to our God for what we've done? And would there be some of you who are those outside a relationship with Jesus? Would you maybe want to have a marriage ceremony right now and find how to live the best life? I'll even lead you in prayer as well. Let's pray together, all of us. Father, a lot of us here as singles need to confess that we have not been able to be content in our thinking and assumed we're not in the best place because we are single. Forgive us. For those of us married, who say in this marriage I cannot be happy, in this marriage I can't have life. Forgive us for not believing you're enough. But I'm going to ask you right now on behalf of all of us where we've been thinking contrary to truth, forgive us and empower us to do otherwise. For all of those here without a relationship with you, I pray even now there would be little marriage ceremonies breaking out all over this auditorium where people are saying, oh, I submit to you and I want your love. Come into my heart and dwell me, change me forever right now. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your word that instructs. We pray in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.